we got to figure this out, Melissa, some sort of solution to the transfer portal madness. Not that it's not a good thing generally, but there are some chaotic elements that need fixing. Plus, the Frogs got robbed at Fog. We can just say it. We're not totally unbiased here. And what does women's hoops look like now that Sedona Prince is out indefinitely? We're going to talk about all of this on this episode of Frogs Insider starting right now. Let's go. Welcome into this episode of Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here alongside Melissa Trebowasser bringing you all of the latest information regarding TCU Athletics. Melissa, first episode of 2024. How are we feeling? Uh, spicy. I think we're both feeling pretty spicy right now. Uh, Absolutely. I think we both got the uh, national championship game here on in the background. Uh, we're still we're still a little bitter from Saturday's basketball events on both events of the women's side. And, you know, you you opened it up by saying we were going to talk about portal madness. And I know that that gets just about everybody fired up. So uh, the really theme does. of 2024 TCU athletics is definitely spicy. It is spicy. And there are some legitimate things I think we can talk about on this episode that will have people feeling one way or another. Um, before we dive into all of it, though, a shout out as always to Dave Campbell's Texas Football and the Republic of Football Network, of which we are a part. We are the TCU branded site for that podcast network. You can go anywhere you search your podcasts uh, or get your podcasts and search for Republic of Football Network, and you'll find our feed where you can get a podcast related to every D1 program in the state of Texas, which, in my opinion, is pretty freaking cool. Because Very. it covers not only us and SMU and Tech and AM, but Rice and Sam Houston State and UTSA and UTEP and North Texas. And just covering all of college football in the state of Texas is pretty dope. Also, yeah. big thanks to Hell's Half Acre and Home Field Apparel, our lovely show sponsors who are with us every week as well. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about them a little bit later on in the program. But right now, Melissa, we got to get into some craziness here. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to preface this conversation because I know one of our faithful listeners every week is David Bowden, the great Coach Bowden. Um, Wonderful Coach Bowden. And for those of you who are listening who are not David Bowden, he and I tried to record a segment similar to this earlier this week, but technology, as it is so frequently in he and I's relationship, was against us. And uh, the recording... Uh, corrupted and we cannot use that audio or video and it's very sad and disappointing. So you and I are going to have a similar conversation and hopefully yeah. at some and point it's in the be near not future, nearly as well, good as Bowden, but that's okay. Uh, hopefully, hopefully at some point in the near future, we can have coach Bowden on to have that conversation with us because he did provide what I thought was some really good insight from a coaching perspective on what we're going to talk about here right now, but we're going to hit the portal. We're going to talk about, men's hoops and that game in Kansas, which was an instant classic that is marred by poor officiating. And then what does the injury to Sedona Prince do to this women's hoops season? Is it over? Is there hope? Is it somewhere in between? We're going to kind of suss all of that out um, on the show today. But Melissa, I want to jump in and ask you this question because TCU has seen in the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, really, a couple of players from the transfer portal who had committed to TCU and who had signed financial aid paperwork 
meaning that they were announced as part of the signing class on early signing day. They've, you know, they did the photo shoot. Their names were on the website, right? Everything that are going to go somewhere else, right? You have Donovan Saunders, the cornerback from Cal Poly, who went through that process with TCU and then recently flipped and decided that he's going to go to Texas A&M. You have the offensive lineman, uh, Howard Sampson from North Texas, who did the same thing, except now he's going to North Carolina. And so the question is, you know, with all that is good about name, image, and likeness and this freedom of movement in the transfer portal, is there a solution to the seemingly impossible task of managing a roster? I mean, I think the first, the first thing I want to say is I want to know how many TCU fans knew Cal Poly had a football team before Donovan Saunders decided to commit to TCU um, because not many. And the fact that TCU and A&M are fighting over a, corner from Cal Poly um, just has me feeling all kinds of ways knowing what I know about Cal Poly, Poly football. And I think the kid's really good. I think he's really oh, very really good. Yes. And he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. But it, again, it's still Cal Poly football. It's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. Um, you know, I, I think that, that at some point as the system um, probably collapses and resets, which is what we're obviously moving towards. And I think college football, as we know, it obviously doesn't look like it did three years ago and probably won't look like it does today, three years from now. Um, and, and Sonny Dykes really gave great voice to this a year ago, um, ahead of the national championship game is that the calendar, because of the portal, because of the changes in recruiting, high school recruiting has gotten completely and totally out of hand. And I think that the first thing that you have to look at is when is the portal open? When does it close? And when is it, when is a transfer student fully committed? Um, and, you know, obviously they sign their financial aid paperwork, but until they are enrolled in class, that is not a binding decision. And so do you look at doing something more along the lines that you do at the high school level and making that a binding decision? Is that fair to do for a transfer? Do you do you cap the number of transfers? We've seen that come and go. That's probably not not the, the solution. Or as a lot of people now are starting to deposit, do you put these kids on employment contracts? And make it make that commitment, you know, just like it does for most people in the the workforce is that once you sign with the school or you sign an NIL deal, now you're on a contract. And if you don't meet certain expectations, you don't see the payout from that contract. I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. Um, I think that the NCAA desperately or at least not if not the NCAA, the SEC and the Big Ten, who are ultimately going to be the decision makers here, want to desperately avoid unionizing and allowing unions by student athletes. And so maybe making them employees and contracted employees by the football teams is probably what we're going to see them push for. But Mm -hmm. I think there has to be something that's written in pen in order for programs to take back the control that they so desperately want while still being able to look like they are doing right by the student athletes or totally. let's just call yeah. them athletes, students. Yeah. So, they're, let's be they're, honest. they're athletes. They're athletes. We've, we've, if we're not there yet, we are very close to mm-hmm. moving beyond the concept of student athlete, which I think is always indicated some level of amateurism that is quickly leaving yeah. sports at the college level, especially in football and, and men's basketball to an extent as well. Um, but I think you're right, and I think I'm there. This is this is kind of where I got with Bowden the other day when we failed at recording uh, an episode. Was um, I think I'm to the point now where I would just like to see 
some sort of governing body, whether that's the NCAA, federal regulators, or a new body that comes out of whatever happens next with college football. Please not say, federal regulators. They've got other no, things they need to be worried about. But <laughs> they're, they're doing anything they can to not focus on big issues right now. Yeah. So maybe college football will get some answers soon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, I think I'm to the point where whatever the governing body is and, and whoever is ultimately in charge in the near future, needs to do two things. First of all, they need to remove the third-party restriction for name, image, and likeness Mm -hmm. and allow universities to compensate student-athletes directly. I said student-athletes. Allow universities to compensate their athletes directly because the fact that this whole NIL system has been pawned off on the fan and not the universities that are making tens, if not hundreds of million dollars annually is a joke, right? Because now you're fundraising from fans for new new facilities. You're fundraising from fans for uh, other amenities on campus. You're expecting fans to pay for a PSL and then buy premium seating in your stadium for season tickets. And now you're asking them to also pay the student athletes. Feels like a little bit of... Uh, a an imbalance and financial expectations is being placed on the fan base at this point. So point one, shifting that financial responsibility to the university, not third-party NIL um, organizations. The second thing is linking an NIL contract with uh, essentially making an NIL contract, a binding agreement between a player and a university and allowing it to be anywhere from one to four years in length. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, a, a small school where you find a talent kid, talented kid who's maybe a diamond in the rough, didn't get rated appropriately, wasn't looked at like he should have been, like we see so often in college athletics, he knows maybe, hey, I'm going to get a chance a year or two down the road to really make some hay and maybe make some even better money at a bigger school. But I'm going to sign with Sam Houston State for one year and get 50k or whatever it is that sounds great but once you sign on the dotted line with sam houston state that's where you're going to spend your freshman year right you're obligated from the from the moment pen meets paper to play your freshman year at sam houston state you want to go to bama and sign a four-year deal congratulations on your money big dog but also alabama you signed that guy to a four-year deal he isn't going to hit the transfer portal because you signed him to a four-year deal. That's kind of my solution is finding a way to link NIL contracts with not only um, a binding contract to the school, but also transfer portal eligibility. You are not eligible to enter the transfer portal until your NIL contract is over, right? Yeah. So you're Georgia. You got these five stars. You say, you want to come to Georgia? Here's a three-year contract. Right. You want to come to Bama, Ohio State, Michigan? Here's a three year contract. But a TCU, a Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State might be, hey, you're not sure about the three year deal over there? Here's a one year deal. Here's a two year deal. I think that creates a level of parity. And I think that creates a level of security, not, not only from a player standpoint, but from a roster management and university standpoint that we simply are not seeing in, in the current uh, climate today. 
it would be fascinating because you could start talking about buyouts. Like, is there going to be a clause if your coach gets fired or quits or at least, mm -hmm. I mean, there these would be so technical. And I mean, it would be probably like, like the illegal staffs that schools would have to pay for. You know, one of the things I also think would be, is going to be really interesting. Cause I, I think I completely agree with you. I think that's the direction we're going to end up ultimately going. You might see a, a kicker. If you sign for more years, you get more money, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it's going to be fascinating, but one of the things that's going to be interesting is if the, the onus ultimately falls on universities to pay these NIL contracts or at least pick up the, the majority of them, how are they going to determine where that money comes out? Because I see a lot of people, and, and I see this a lot in the TCU fan base of saying, throw all of your money and all of your financial support to TCU football. Right. I love TCU football. I do not want that to be what I put all of our the TC's resources to. I, I think that at the end of the day, um, we're going to have to see a separation from football, probably not the other sports, but football is going to have to be its own entity, its own LLC, however you want to scheme it up here. But yeah. um, because I, I think that people need to have the, you still want to invest in the university. You know, you go to, um, you know, I, I, when I was TCU, we were very, very bad at football. I didn't go to TCU because of TCU football, I wanted to go to a university with division one athletics. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important that TCU still gets supported as a, um, I know we're all just had to watch you to see if that was, a, was that an interception? It was um, a pick and Michael Penix is hurt. So everything is great. Uh, everything is oh, wonderful. Oh, God. Um, so uh, watch, watch a game that will have already happened um, live with, oh, uh, that was a pick. That uh, was probably a pick. Um, but yeah, like, you know, are you going to be able to separate that? Are people still going to be able to choose, you know, because I think the work that TCU is doing outside of football is infinitely more important, but most of our connection to TCU comes with athletics. And so yeah. how do you find a balance as a university to make sure that you are still being true to your roots as a university and still advancing your mission as a university while understanding that football is a big part of the reason that you have that opportunity in the first place. It's it's going to be so interesting. It's going to be fascinating. But I think we both agree that something absolutely has to change um, because it's unfair to the coaches and you're going to see more and more good coaches leave the college game because it has become so much more than a full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, and they should not be having to spend so much time and energy chasing their own players down, chasing transfers down, chasing recruits down, doing all of the things that that have become so much more, the game has become so much more about than the actual thing that happens on, you know, Saturdays. Yeah, it really, it is. And and I don't know if I want to get into this fully on this episode, because we do want to get to some hoops talk here. But I, I think um, I'm also fully on board with an idea that started, I believe, with Stephen Godfrey, he of Split Zone Duo, Washington Post, and Bagman fame, not necessarily in that order, um, where he proposed moving bowl season as the playoff expands and grows, moving bowl season to the beginning of the year and making them invitational uh, exhibition games as week zero games. Because how much better would the Sun Bowl have been if all those Notre Dame players had played? Yeah. How much better would bowl season be if there were no opt-outs and the games actually meant something still, right? Um, and that does that that has the benefit of doing three different things. First, it creates a little bit more interest in non-conference matchups that maybe won't happen all the time. And you're talking about all of those lower tier bowls that maybe struggle to sell out in December. Fans haven't had football in six months in the middle of August. Yeah, they're going to go to that football game if they're close, if they're in town. Second of all, you're avoiding all of the opt-outs that have really done a done a number on bowl season as good as they are for the players who are trying to protect their health ahead of what might be a lengthy pro career. And then third, 
it clears up the December calendar because you already have this chaotic month of, well, this coach left, but the team made a bowl game. Who's going to coach there? Where's this player going to transfer? What kids are they going to sign from high school? Just the mass chaos that happens in December generally would be cleared up if you moved some of those games out of December and put them at the beginning of the year. The negative to that, though, is that when I want to watch SMU lose to Boston College at a baseball stadium in a rainy, terrible, (laughs) disgusting day on a random ass Thursday morning at 9 a.m., I can do it. And you're going to take that away from me? That's... I'm just going to move it. No, it's just going to happen on August 18th instead of December 7th or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that also makes a lot of sense. I, I do think that you would lose some of the cachet that you get for some of these bowls. Like, I, I don't know that the, the Pop-Tart Bowl is going to have that level of intrigue for the reasons that it had that level of intrigue, sure. right? Because the, the game is going to become so much more important. And mm-hmm. part of what makes bowl season fun is that we get super fired up about a uh mascot trans was it transmorphifying is that the word something sure something like that i don't think that's correct but i'm gonna get roasted for that um (laughs) but uh uh transfiguring maybe um uh into you know an edible thing and the a mayo bath is are you talking about transubstantiation is that it? It, it might be transubstantiation. It might You're be that might the, have been the, the word. Bu- the bread and the the wine yeah, becoming the body yeah. and the blood. Yeah. This is where I, I have to bring the pastor in. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. So um yeah, so that um thing. Um I uh, I shouldn't have even tried. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so and, and you're like, I don't know that, you know, anybody's going to be willing to have a vat of mayo dumped on them in August. That's going to hit different. Gross. Um, so you will lose some of that, but that's not what ultimately matters. Right. I think it, it, it matters for the games. It matters um, for impressions and, and for marketability. But at the end of the day, if you have better meaning, more meaningful football games, that's part's probably going to take care of itself. Well, here's how you you fix that part of the issue is you simply make the mayo bowl the cheese it bowl the pop tart bowl quarterfinals in the playoffs every single year hmm. right so the those those sponsored themed bowls with the edible mascots and the, the mayo bath only edible bowl mean only, more yes yeah mean more actually yes it should be a requirement for every single playoff game to have a an edible mascot and b some sort of substance that is not gatorade or water dumped on a coach or player at the end of the game now, now let me ask you this, Jamie. Let me let me play Dave, devil's advocate. Oh God, I really should just stay away from anything religiously. Or I've, I'm obviously a little bit rusty. Um, the, the Catholics don't read the Bible, so I don't. You know, I don't know nobody does anymore. This. It's yeah. fine. <clears throat> um, uh, it's a different episode. Um, but do you think that we might see some of these opt outs and some of these these coaching moves happen earlier in the season, though? Because if you know on November fifteenth that your team is not going to make the playoffs, you're not competing for a conference championship we could potentially see kids say, okay, I'm done. Um, I don't want to play. I don't want to get hurt. We've got nothing to play for. I mean, you could have a lot of teams that know they have absolutely nothing to play for very, very early in the season. And that could really change the dynamics of what November looks like for college football as well. It could, but at the same time, you're once again, clearing up the schedule as you get closer and closer to early signing day, because now a team that is going to go three and nine, is not obligated to hang on to a head coach that they know they're going to fire anyways. And then they're not going to have to a stress about replacing him, B worry about holding on to the signing class, C try to try to hold on to guys on the current roster and hit the portal and do all of the other things that come with hiring a new coaching staff. 
all within the span of two and a half weeks before the early signing period. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, I think it still clears the road a little bit more to say the season's not going well. We're either going to start our coaching search right now or kind of communicate to the people that matter that this coaching search is going to start right at the end of the season. And you have a clear runway to take care of that business uh, and it just feels like things might be a little bit more organized. Yeah. The, the biggest thing, obviously, is going to be getting the Big Ten and the SEC to buy in. You know, mm-hmm. if those two, because it like we can all act like the Big 12 is in good shape and it's in good shape, but it's not in the SEC or Big Ten shape. And those two, you know, governing bodies are going to be making the major decisions for college football in the foreseeable future, barring them to completely separating themselves from the sport in general, which I also could fully see happen here in the next five years. So, yes. um, I, you know, I, I think, I think the, the TLDR of this is obviously something has to change. Mm-hmm. I think people recognize that things have to change. I think decision makers across the sport and across um, the media landscape recognize that things have to change. The question is going to be what's the next domino that's going to fall that enacts that change. And then how quickly does that change come to fruition over the course of the next several years, while there is still so much in flux in the sport as a whole. True. Very true. It's a good point. And, you know, I, we just, I I'm, I'm hesitant to get attached to any new system or structure because it feels like everything is going to change in a major way, at least, you know, four or five years. Let me ask you one last question to put a button on this. Do Mm -hmm. you believe college football needs a commissioner? Yes. Yeah. I, the best, the best, proposed structure that i have heard at so far has come from chip kelly i think what yeah, he, he was said great he was brilliant brilliant you keep all of your regional conferences and every single football team is independent you create your own schedule you have a 64 team 124 team whatever it is but everybody's independent in in football only you have a commissioner for football who manages football related issues Everything else stays under the NCAA in regional conferences. It makes too much sense. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. But that's that's the model that I would that I would like to see with a commissioner for college football. Completely agree. Yeah. All right, Melissa. Hey. Before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to Homefield Apparel, one of our wonderful sponsors. They um, have been doing an incredible job around bowl season and the playoffs. You've got your Rainbow Hawaii, Warriors, Rainbow Hawaii Warriors. shirt on. And last time we recorded, Melissa, I told you that I did the mystery hoodie. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that is that? I am currently wearing Excellent. said mystery hoodie. I had some questions about your Mizzou hoodie. A Missouri Tigers hoodie. Beautiful. I have not shown this to my Arkansas father yet. Um, because he might have a heart attack, but yeah. I am wearing this very comfortable Missouri hoodie. It was like 50% off of hoodies at homefieldapparel.com for that day. They're, they do this promotion multiple times a year. So if you're thinking, I would like a home field apparel hoodie, but A, they're a little pricey and B, you know, I don't really care what design I get. There are so many great ones to pick from. Do the mystery hoodie day. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm living proof of that right now. As I've, I've done some mystery hoodies. I've done some mystery <clears throat> t-shirts. Those are go. also good. Yeah, Heck you yeah. can. And yeah, like I said, you're not going to get a bad one because they don't mm-hmm. make they don't make anything bad at home. Field I believe you own. Don't. I believe you own some Baylor stuff, right? No, 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 SMU? no. I have a line. Uh, there might be there might be one. And and listen, that kicking and Mustang. It was, hang on. Was it the mystery package? 
I am going to run for my own protection. Um, go ahead and plead the fifth <laughs> here. Um, uh, I neither confirm nor deny your accusation. Right. Um, but I will say I, I did draw the line. I have not bought anything Texas. I have not bought anything uh, Baylor. Even though, listen, the Texas and Baylor collections are outstanding. But no, I won't do it. I do have a line. Um, SMU doesn't really, they don't really bother me. So I didn't. Not a rival. Yeah, not a rival. Um, yeah. God, do we, do we want to laugh at them really quick? Yeah, let's do it. Let's laugh at them. Um, you, you had a great SMU. tweet, a very popular tweet. So <laughs> 1.5 uh, million share? impressions. Yeah. So I did not, and I got accused of this in the DMs. Oh my gosh, you read the Florida State. A lawsuit document to find ways to dunk on SMU. No, <laughs> you, you, because you have time for that. Jamie. No, I you didn't. Have so much time. I read the 38 page lawsuit that Florida State filed last month because it was a newsworthy college athletics story. And I thought we might talk about it on the podcast. And I've been trying to keep track of expansion and realignment stuff at the college level. I've been talking to several folks about that over the last year, basically. And um, I thought I'd like to read that and then be an informed participant in the conversation, right? That's an important thing, in my opinion, is to read things and be informed. Well, when I stumbled upon the absolute body bag that Florida State put SMU in on like pages 17 through 24, yeah, I'm going to take a screenshot of it and have a good laugh at SMU's expense on the Bird app. As one does. Like, I mean, here's the thing. Florida State did not miss in their accusations about SMU saying that they were not the best uh, available team to add to the conference, that they, in fact, devalued the conference, that they made no sense, that they were the fact that they were willing to be unpaid interns essentially was an indicator of that unworthiness to be a part of the ACC and that the ACC in a desperate move to keep other teams of higher value locked into this long-term grant of rights did something that was not in the best interest of the conference. All of those things are true. Very true. All of those things are true. It doesn't matter that it hurts SMU fans feelings, all 13 of them, whoever, but and, you know, and for the people that are going to say that they live rent-free in our heads because we're talking about them, no, listen, that's what makes regional rivalries in college football great. That's why Chip Kelly is right, is because, yes, I'm going to pay attention to the school that's 35 miles from TCU that wants to be TCU, that has wanted to do all of the things that TCU has gotten to do over the last 25 years and has rarely been able to beat TCU. And when they do something stupid or they get absolutely dunked on, then heck yeah, I'm going to talk about it mm-hmm. and I'm going to laugh about it. And I'm going to want to um, to bring light to it. They don't yep. live rent-free in my head, but when they come into the public perception and the rare occasions that people are talking about SMU football and it's funny, by all means, am I going to pass along that humor for my college football brethren that choose to also want to laugh at SMU? And it turns out when you make it publicly known that you are willing to sell yourself for free. Other people are going to try and take advantage of your freeness as well, because one of the latest things that's been reported by Ross Dellinger over at sports illustrated, who, if you're not following Ross, you're not actually following college football realignment because he is, in my opinion, the most informed, most consistently accurate guy. 
um, on all of this stuff, but he uh, reported a couple weeks ago and then it, it came back up today on Monday as, as the college football playoff uh, commission was meeting again. It is not a given that SMU will receive the full P5 college football playoff payout that goes to every P5 school. This is something that has been done in the past for schools that are moving to a power five conference uh, is that they've received the full conference payout from the college football playoff, but SMU did not have the votes. (laughs) Didn't have the votes to get the $6 million instead of the $1 million that G5 schools get. So wonderful. And SMU fans might be upset about this, but hey, you just advertised that you were free, right? Free services, no cost to, to playing with us. So why would these conference commissioners vote to give you money that you clearly have already said, no, no, we don't need it. We've got a guy who's going to give us $200 million. We don't need your, We don't need your money. We'll play for free. Okay, great. We'll give that $6 million to Florida State so they get off our ass for two days. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? It's, and it's in so between beautiful. these two things, in between these two things, SMU lost to six and six Boston College. Yeah. On the football field. On the football In field. a football game. It to is. To a quarterback that I don't think completed a single pass. Oh, but man, he was fun to watch. I, you know, I've, I have some BC in the family, so I, I enjoyed that game tremendously, watching that with my brother-in-law, who's an mm-hmm. alum, and my sister, who went to grad school there. It was an absolute delight. In between my oh, niece good. asking for more Cocoa Melon, you know. Shout out Cocoa Melon. Oh, God. I actually know burn Cocoa no, Melon to don't, the ground. Yeah, don't, don't shout out Cocoa Melon at all. Terrible. Um, all right, you let's jump in. Burn to the ground. Uh, the Big 12 officiating offices, yeah. Big 12 headquarters. Yeah. 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 Um, man, like, listen, like we've said this before we started recording. Neither one of us wants to sit there and blame officiating, but mm-hmm. you cannot have things consistently happen in that arena around officiating in close games and not like, you know, I, I, I jumped on with, with Andy Mitz of the Rock Chalk Pod and, mm-hmm. and he and I kind of made a comment about the officiating and I was like, if, you know, if this is a close game, it can't come down to the officials. You, TCU can't be in a position where the officials can impact it. And he was like, oh, it's confirmation bias. But, bro, there's confirmation bias, and then there's flat-out confirmation. And according to every single person on social media and every single commentator on the broadcast, and Gene Steratour, the officials guru, and Fran Fraschilla, and all of these very well-respected people across college football, college basketball, and also every other fan base outside of Kansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, freaking Barstool wrote an article about it. Yes. About TCU getting screwed by the officiating. So, obviously... There were there are bad calls throughout the game. Some calls absolutely went TCU's way at mm-hmm. part, like you know, TCU's gotten the benefit of a really, really terrible call earlier this season against Georgetown. But to see a you know, we we went over this ad nauseum here before we started recording, but they had no right to stop the play. Micah PV slightly right. turning his head backwards is not enough to to constitute um a, a disadvantage situation. Had they whistled for the flagrant when it happened, or even fine. just like whistled a foul at all. Yes, any right? foul at all. Yeah, yeah, but but because Hunter Dickinson decided to stay down before his miraculous recovery, thank God for that. Um, that's the only reason that they even reviewed that play. Um, and, and then to to make the ruling, even if you want to give them the flagrant, which 
again, nobody seemed to think was a flagrant outside of those three officials and Kansas fans. Um, the fact that there was a two-handed push-off ahead of the game winner and that Dickinson very mm-hmm. clearly shuffled his feet, you know, took two steps and then switched his pivot feet. And, and Andy, Andy pointed this out on Twitter and he was like, well, there was an official just two feet away that didn't make that call. And I was like, thank you for proving my point <laughs> that there yeah. is some, there is some very dubious officiating in that building. Uh, and I get it. Like they want to get out of there alive. I can respect that. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's unfortunate that TCU played their most complete game of the season that Trey Tennyson, Tennyson, who I fell in love with when we watched them practice, um, you know, before the season began, had that kind of breakout game um, that, 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 that Jamie Dixon had a great game plan for Kansas and that they were so close to being able to pull off what would have been a massive, massive win for TCU and to have it end like that with so much controversy is super disappointing. Yeah. And I wrote about this in my post game report as well. Uh, I basically said it doesn't really matter which side of that call you land on, whether you agree with it or not. The disappointment that I felt afterwards is that a game that had 26 lead changes where neither team ever led by more than two possessions. The only thing people talked about afterwards was the officiating. And that was so disappointing because it was an incredible basketball game, an incredible basketball game. Both teams were, um, moving the ball the way they wanted to both in transition and in the half court. There were some incredible defensive moments. There were uh, threes with hands and faces and incredible post-up moves. And it was just such a fun, good basketball game. And to that point with only a minute left, I think they had only called like 12 total fouls, 13 yeah. total fouls in the game. Like it was a really clean physically just active basketball game that, everybody should have come away talking about for the game itself. And instead everyone's been talking about the officiating and it's happening more and more and more across sports in general. Look at the Cowboys lions end of the game. You talked about the Georgetown basketball game already this year, right? Uh, I mean, time and time again, it feels like the conversation turns to officiating rather than the actual game itself. And so to have such a great game marred by that, once again, it was really disappointing. Um, that being said, you nailed it when you said the TCU played probably their most complete game of the year. Trey Tennyson needs to start from here on out. He started the last three games. He has done an incredible job from week one to now defensively Mm -hmm. and doing some of the intangible stuff, um, protecting the basketball when he's got it, not being turnover prone, like some of the other TCU guards have been to this point this season. Um, he's gotta be your starting two guard from here on out until someone rips that job away from him. How does he, I know Kansas was obviously glued to him, but man, how does he not get the ball on that last possession? And and I want to say like, I thought Jameer Nelson did some really incredible things off Mm -hmm. the bench. I thought that his, his pull-up game was really, really good. He's looked much better since coming off the bench. Looks a lot more comfortable in that role. Um, I don't know what the final play call was. I don't know what the expectation was. I don't mind him shooting that shot. Yeah. But he didn't get a great, he didn't get a chance to get his feet set. I would have loved to have seen something with, with some type of action with a Micah PV screen or Emmanuel Miller or something to, to get that ball and to try to free up Trey Tennyson for that shot because he was absolutely unconscious um, in that second half. I need to go back and rewatch the final play, but at, at first look, I thought they ran essentially the same action that they ran against Georgetown. Mm. Um, they just ran it with Jameer instead of Emmanuel because of the mm. way that it was defended. And so I think Jameer was the second option on that play. 
and he gets the ball and he runs down the sideline. And I think because I, I can't remember who was in front of him. There was a frog in front of him that was pro- I, probably supposed to screen that guy off a little bit more and didn't, do it. And okay. didn't quite get to that spot yeah. in time. I think it was an execution thing. I agree. I think that that getting the ball in, in the hot shooter's hands would have been ideal in that situation. I'm not necessarily upset with yeah. the call and the it action wasn't itself. A bad, yeah, the execution it wasn't a bad, just wasn't, wasn't yeah. quite there. Yeah. It, like, and again, like, I think at that point too, you're so deflated. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's hard. Like I, I just, you know, I would have loved to have seen that game play out. If TC loses that game without the controversy, then I think every TC fan is going, okay, we're a little bit better than we thought we were a little right. bit more prepared. And I, I still think that's ultimately comes mm-hmm. away. I guess the one silver lining of losing a game that way with that much controversy is when, you know, the seedings come around and, and pick your bubble teams come around. Um, hopefully TC gets a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Um, what, what they can do now though, is, is control how they respond. Right. Mm-hmm. And a top 10 Oklahoma team that you and I both probably think maybe is a little bit overrated yeah. uh, comes to town on Wednesday, a very good team, but a team that TC matches up with really well. Um, you know, they've got Oklahoma and, and Houston this week. Um, Houston looks like an absolute juggernaut. Um, but if they can if they can get this win at home on Wednesday and kind of get themselves right from this game and and, and shake off kind of the bad feelings, uh, this is still a team that can win a lot of games in the Big 12 and can make themselves a tournament team. And at the end of the day, that loss isn't going to matter if they can go and recover from it and win on Wednesday night. Because I think if you had told me coming into this the Big 12 play that they were one and one after two against top 10 Oklahoma and, you know, number two or three Kansas, then I would have been like, oh, great, outstanding, super happy with that. Yeah, I think so too. And and you're right. The TCU, I think, is a good matchup with Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a little bit more turnover prone. They're okay with running up and down the court a little bit, which – you know, we talked about before we started recording, if you want to get into a track meet with this TCU basketball team, they're going to absolutely welcome that because this is a deadly, deadly, deadly offense and transition. And the best part about this transition offense is that they've progressed week over week in understanding when the opportunity to run is there and when they need to get into their, their half court offense a little bit more quickly. That's something that Jamie Dixon has talked about over the last few weeks. And we saw that against Kansas really, really well, where there were, Mm -hmm. there were three on five, three on four opportunities where maybe you can push it, but it's not a great idea. And instead what they did was they settled into a quick half court offense, moved the ball really well, and either got a look inside because of a guard driving or a wide open three from Tennyson. And that's the kind of fast, action that you have to have where you can allow that transition threat to give you open looks in the half court. That's something that they really didn't do in non-conference as well as maybe they could have, but it was great to see that against Kansas. Also on a side note, I don't know how good Kansas's guard play really is this year Yeah, because they've, I mean, they've got probably the best player in the league in Hunter Dickinson, say what you want about him. He's an incredible post player. They've got, you know, KJ Adams, who's another freak athletically, They've got Kevin McCullough, who's another possibly the best player in the conference kind of player. And then, you know, you've got Dewan Harris, you've got a couple other, a couple other guards, but really it's the, it's the forwards and it's the front court. That is the strength of this Kansas team. Their backcourt is, is a little suspicious for Kansas. Yeah. We'll say for Kansas, yeah. it's a different level of, of thing there, but um, I'll be interested to see if TCU's guard play can continue to pick up where they left off Um on Wednesday because they, they had, I think collectively a really strong day. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and, and I think that they can get, you know, obviously missing Jacoby Coles was, was a big hurt mm-hmm. them. 
Um, and I think, you know, the, the rebounding probably wasn't the level that we expect to see from, from TCU. Um, I, I think, you know, Uday had some really, really great moments in that game. And there were a couple moments, especially on defense where he looked a little bit lost. He's a guy that's getting better every single week, um, but he yeah. is nowhere near the type of player that, you know, I think we all expected to be a year from now. Anything yes. he contributes at this point <laughs> is a bonus, um, but I, I would love to see him be a little bit more aggressive on the, on the boards. That's going to be really important against Oklahoma. He's 19. Yeah. which is crazy to me. He's 19 yeah. years old and he only averaged like eight minutes a game last year. Right. Yeah. And so this is a kid who's still really learning how to well, he's, play. He's 20 as of like today or yesterday. That's true today. Turned, Monday. Yeah. Happy birthday to Ernest Uday yeah. Jr. Yeah. He is now 20 years old, no longer a teenager. Um, but yeah, still really learning the college yeah. game, I think. And I trust Tony Benford with any big mm -hmm. man that wants to come through the program, frankly. For sure. I, sure. I mean, that guy is a miracle worker with big men and he, you could put a, a, you know, naturally gifted and athletic freak like Ernest Uday in his hands as yeah. clay to mold. And, you know, that's, that's going to be I think, a really fun thing to watch develop. Uh, you know what was something fun that I didn't necessarily watch develop, but that I was surprised by over the Christmas break? What's that? We mentioned um, our one of our sponsors, our friends at Hell's Half Acre sent gift cards to every single person that made a purchase in 2023, mm -hmm. um, commiserate with the amount of uh, purchases you made. I thought that was a pretty dang cool thing to do. Super I'm neat. super excited to spend uh, my gift card um, and get some new gear. They have incredible baseball gear, all of the great stuff that you need for your tailgate to get yourself ready for the baseball season, for hitting up some basketball games here this winter. Um, they are a company by Horn Frogs for Horn Frogs. They support TCU's NIL ventures, um, something we were discussing earlier, and just make really, really high quality, really great looking apparel, um, yes. koozies, flags, all, all of the things. I know we both have quite a few items there um, from our friends at Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. I encourage everybody to check them out for sure. They're, they're the place you need to go to get ready for a TCU game day just because of all the different kinds of things that you mentioned, Melissa. They've got so much good stuff over there. I've got – I actually had – this is this was unintentional, but I had the uh, little new Horn Frog Head logo polo mm -hmm. on at work today. And, uh, yeah, so – Turns out I've inadvertently repped both of our sponsors in the same day. So Way to go. That's I'm doing everything do I can. I'm doing everything I can over here to, to rep the brands. That's how we do it. Um, so la last thing we got to touch on is, uh, you know, as we said, Saturday was a was a tough day uh, for, for TCU basketball. It's a tough day for TCU women who um, dropped their first Big 12 game of the year and first uh, game of the year to Oklahoma State. Um, second. Or second, second game. Yeah. Se second, sorry, I forgot about the Baylor game. Um, because Sedona Prince broke her finger, it turns out, on the first, I think the first play, she said, mm -hmm. of the game at at. Baylor and Waco um, had surgery on Friday and is going to be out for an undisclosed period of time. Uh, I watched pretty much the entirety of that game against Oklahoma state it was a home game. Um, and, and the frogs looked completely just uh, disillusioned and, and disheveled, I think without Sedona Prince. I mean, she is so impactful on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, they still, they still fought, they still played with good energy, um, but obviously rebounding was a big problem. Oklahoma State is always big. They're always super aggressive. They're always physical. They had a, a great post player that I think Sedona would have handled with ease, um, but they were unable to to slow down Oklahoma, both inside and outside, and and uh, made a couple runs, got it within a few points a, a few times, but could never really break under that five-point uh, margin and and fell at home to the, to the, uh, the Cowgirls. Uh, tough, tough break for this team that had so much positive momentum. Played so well against Baylor in that first half before kind of 
getting Baylor in the second half, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, now looking back to with knowing what happened to Sedona Prince, I think we all can kind of see why she struggled a little bit in that game um, playing with a shorn in half finger pretty much. Um, it's unfortunate. I think this team can still make some noise in the big 12. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see when Prince is able to come back. Um, you know, that could be something that keeps her out for the rest of the regular season. Um, it could be something where she could be back in a few weeks. Uh, it's just going to depend how her healing progresses. She's obviously got an injury history and and knows how to rehab and knows how to attack that process. True. So um, I have a lot of faith that, that she will do everything she can to be out there as soon as possible. Um, and this is, you know, her last run at college basketball. So, you know, she wants to be out there, but uh, Mark Campbell's got to make some adjustments. He's going to have to figure things out. Um, they played a lot of zone and Oklahoma state just absolutely ate them up. Um, but without, uh, Prince in the middle that that zone zone looks looks pretty rough. Um, they played a lot of zone all season. It's been effective with her, but I think we'll have to see if they can switch over to play some more man to man. And and it's going to be interesting. Someone's going to have to step up. Yeah. And I think Madison Connor it was great. I thought she did a great job attacking. They they really did not want to let her shoot the three, of course. Um, but she got to the rim um, and was really really aggressive. But somebody else is going to have to step up um, alongside uh, Connor and kind of fill the void. You're not going to probably get 20 and 12 from any singular player. But if everybody can increase their presence, you know, both in the scoring and on the rebounding and the box score, I think that this team can still be really competitive Mm -hmm. in the conference. I think so, too. And, you know, you've still got Jaden Owens running the point. She had a double-double on Saturday as well. You've got... Agnes Emanopu, who's a really good interior presence, uh, an incredible rebounder, hustle player as well. The question really is, how much is this going to test the already limited depth on the bench, right? Because you have Sydney Harris, who transferred in from Central Michigan, who still hasn't played yet this year. You've got a couple other folks who... Um, you know, I mean, you just, you have a thin, a thinner roster than maybe you normally yeah. do. Um, and it's the, you know, it tends to happen in year one under a new head coach. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the depth holds up. If they have another injury to a key starter, I just don't know that they would be able to recover from that. Yeah. Um, having already lost such a big, such a big piece of this, uh, puzzle. Yeah, it's it's really it's just such a bummer because they are so fun to watch. They're so exciting to watch. There was so much enthusiasm around the program. And you just really hope that 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 doesn't fall off completely um, Mm -hmm. in light of of Prince's entry. So, you know, they'll they'll uh, I'm trying to look at their schedule here really quickly because I cannot remember. I'm obviously not on my A game right now, but uh, they they get to travel to number 10, Texas um, Mm. on Wednesday. Uh, uh, Men will have Oklahoma at home. Uh, Women will be at Texas. That's obviously a tough game. Texas also has had their injury issues. Um, and then they can maybe have a chance to regroup at home against, or they go at Houston on Saturday. So it's yeah. not an easy stretch. It's a really, really good conference for women's basketball, just like it is on the men's side. Um, and so things won't be easy, but, uh, you know, I think this is why you hire Mark Campbell, right? Mm-hmm. Is nobody expected this team to be ranked in the top 25 in year one. Um, they've already kind of overachieved to this point, um, but they've also kind of given you a taste of what they can be at full strength. And so if he can just kind of keep the boat afloat here for a few weeks and maybe Prince can come back and you know maybe best case scenario three to four weeks then then they can still make some noise um but you know what what they can't do is completely fall off the map i I think that would that would be super uh super disappointing for everybody involved yeah i think so too but at the same time like you said they've already they've already exceeded expectations they looked incredible with with a, a full roster and um i think there's still some salvageable for sure. Salvageability. We're going to make up a word. Salvageability. Yeah. To, to I've, the, I made up like seven words season. earlier. So I think that's completely and totally yeah, reasonable and acceptable. Perfect. Yeah. You love to see it. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. After all, we do have the rest of the national championship to go watch. Um, Washington has surprisingly kind of recovered from a few early, a few early haymakers from Michigan. We're going to see if that holds up over here, but uh, to all of those of you who are listening to this, thank you so much. Thank you as always to Dave Campbell's Texas football, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel for partnering with us in a variety of different ways. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, whatever, some newfangled podcast thing that I don't understand as an older man. Um, Wherever you get them, you can find them. And uh, you can also find us on our YouTube channel over at Frogs Insider, where you can watch this episode and see uh, all of the video content we're creating over there as well. So uh, until next time, we'll, yep, just until next time, go Frogs. Go Frogs.